Hello, it's the TetraCast. I'm Brian Vitale. Joining me today is James Galizio. Hey. And Adam Vitale. Hello. Hey, so it's just the three of us today, so no crowd like it was last week. This has been a really weird week for news. It's we it's kind of light, but a lot of a lot of interesting sorts of announcements happened. Some that we weren't expecting, some that are more uh, business focused, uh, and then there, we were kind of expecting at some point in July and August for Square Enix to announce a few things, but that never really happened as of yet. Anyways, uh, it's just been it's just been a weird week in in a weird year. It's been a weird week. They announced that Balan Wonderworld or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll get to the weirdness uh, after we talk about what we normally do at the start of these is what we've been playing. I've kind of just been jumping around, really, so I haven't really—I don't really have anything good here to add to the conversation about what I've been doing. Um, I don't know if either of you have a specific game that you've been uh, really into in the last week that you want to start off. Uh, basically, just the same games I've been playing the last couple of weeks: Final Fantasy and Monster Hunter. Uh, nothing really specifically to talk about, though I guess um, there's a Yokai Watch event going on in uh, Final Fantasy right now, which uh, kind of, it's interesting for a few reasons. One, so there's these events, and well, there's this content you can do in the game where on each of the different fields, there's sometimes these uh, active time events that are called fates. And also, like tons of people can join in and and uh, do them to get rewards, but most of the time people don't really touch them because unlike some of the other like uh, field events like hunts and whatnot, there's not quite as many um, rewards for doing so. But the yokai watch event is different in the sense that it pretty much entirely revolves around doing fates, so. It's been really um, entertaining, especially in the Aroma of Warren zones, which just got flying. Seeing, like, for example, in, like, Gridania, over this, like, one Etherite crystal, you see, like, 50-plus people in all these endgame mounts just waiting for a fate to spawn, then booking it to this one section of the map and just decimating the boss in, like, seconds. So um, I saw on Twitter or someplace where people were like, I'm trying to collect all the yokai, and I thought it was just using the general term for like a ghost or demon or whatever it means. And then I saw some people like posting like that actual red like mascot character as like a mount or a chair or something. I'm like, oh, they literally mean yokai from Yokai Watch. And it's weird how uh, Level Five announced Yokai Watch Four at Anime Expo 2019. It was there was no like press release or anything trailer i think it was just a verbal announcement that yeah they're going to bring it to the west and more than a year later haven't heard a single thing just very weird i guess speaking of weird collaborations i've been playing um fantasy star online 2 still and episode 4 came out in the u.s or worldwide i guess uh like two weeks ago so i've been playing through that uh, but they've also done like collaborations with uh, Persona because obviously they're both published by Sega. So it's weird to go around that game and see people. Uh, basically, some people are just dressing up their characters in Persona type gear. Like you can see them borrowing like the outfit of the Persona 3 fem- female MC or uh, 
there are cast, which is like the robot uh, race of characters that are dressed like Igus. And there's some people that are. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say like uh, when I was playing um, doing some of my PSO two dailies the other day, I saw some dude in a Jack Frost costume. So yeah, there's there's Jack Frost running around. There's uh, Morganas running around. Uh, so that's kind of. I guess whenever you're in the MMO space, they always have these like crossover events or uh, kind of these current event sort of, uh, I don't know. They're, they're always, I like how Persona, not Persona, Fantasy Star Online 2, it, it, it knows it's a goofy game. And you can tell that by doing like the more, the recent arc festival that they added where everyone's dancing on stage. And I think I'm okay with that. It, I like a game that doesn't, it's it's because I play Guild Wars also, which treats it tries to treat itself pretty damn seriously most of the time. It doesn't do like these meme callouts or anything like that. Or well, Fantasy Star Online two, they just also recently added a urgent quest, which is basically like a timed event where you have to do the quest in a certain window of time on a schedule, um, where you fight like a flying battleship, and that's basically that's what the cinematic trailer from the Xbox event was showing. And it's just like, yeah, this is goofy as hell, but we know it, and we're just gonna allow ourselves to, to be that way. So it's a nice contrast compared to some games which are trying to create like this long-lasting, multi-part epic or something like that. And the story itself of Episode Four of Fantasy Star Online Two is like that in a lot of similar ways as well. It kind of goes into like almost this slice of life sort of anime sort of thing. Where it introduces like these Earth characters that are just like students out of high school, and I know some people are, are rolling their eyes, and I, to be honest, I kind of was too. But I think the game is kind of framed in a way where that's a little bit more palatable. So that was—I don't think—I don't think the full episode's out yet. I think it's like two thirds of the way done. Um, They—they've kind of released it in stages, which is weird from compared to the initial launch, where they're just like, "Here's episodes one through three all at once, go," and now they're kind of filtering it out at a more ready pace. So Adam, I have you. So while James and I have kind of admired in these service game sort of things, uh, have you been looking at anything particularly of a different flavor? Uh, like the last few weeks, I've been kind of just going through some of my backlog, and I've already played the original Persona game, uh, the PSP version. But if you're not aware, that game kind of has two different routes. In the game, there's like the main storyline route, which is called, uh, I I think it's just pronounced Sebek. It's capital, all capitals, S-E-B-E-C route. And that's like a, it's like a company, a corporation in that, in the game. And then there's another storyline like that you can branch to from the beginning called the Snow Queen quest. And so it's like a game that has two entirely separate routes and you have to basically choose near the beginning of the game which one you want to go through and i just decided you know several years after i played the game originally i'll just play it again going through the other route this time and so i did that so i played the snow queen quest which is like the alternate uh route and what it actually kind of reminds me of is in persona 3 fes there's the there was the answer epilogue and I don't mean it reminds me like that because it's not an epilogue, but it's it's like a it's like a mode of the game that is more uh, rooted in the dungeon crawling battle combat aspects of the game rather than the Persona storyline stuff being even even with the original Persona game being 
more of a dungeon crawler than the rest of the series anyway. But it, it really is just kind of structured where you get this new villain, the Snow Queen, that appears at the school that you are a part of in the first game. And then you basically got to have to dungeon crawl through three separate towers and then a final dungeon to basically take her out. And it's it's kind of just like more pure dungeon crawling persona. One so thing the about feel you, like sorry to sorry to jump in, but like you're basically describing it like as as if it's incredibly different. Like it really is two games in one. Like how different is different? Like when you say different route, is it just like Renegade versus Paragon, or like what do you mean? No, it's a completely different. You're pretty much ignoring the storyline and doing this other story instead. It's like a different. It's same. There's even actually so. The original Persona game has something like nine characters or something like that that you can play as. Um, you have your main character and then a bunch of other students. And in the original normal Sebek route, um, you can pick a few of the you can choose a few of the characters that come with you, and I think some are locked that you have to pick. Um, and then you're basically you have them for that for the full game. And then in this route, there's a couple of other characters that you get to choose from on your team, and there's a little bit of overlap, but it's pretty much like just a separate story in the same game. It's just like you you choose which one you want to play eventually or ultimately right at the beginning of the game. So it's it's not like a different path of the storyline, or it's not like you know Renegade Paragon or or different sides of the of, of of a conflict it's just like a different story so it, it is kind of like i'm trying to think i'm trying to think of any other game that i've played or i'm aware of that that is like what you're describing but i can't really think of any like analogy i can't not nothing off the top of my head um it, it just, just it just sounds incredibly unique like damn i've never i don't think i've ever experienced that one thing that's actually kind of interesting is when this game originally released in the West on the original PlayStation. So the original PlayStation version, just to be clear, I played the, the PSP version, which is uh, a little bit different. But in the original PlayStation version of the game, it also has these two different quests, uh, Sebek and Snow Queen. But when they localized it to English, they actually just cut out the Snow Queen quest entirely. Like it's not in the English version of the original PlayStation version of the game. It's just kind of awkward. You know, localization was a little different back then, I guess. But when the PSP version came out, you know, a decade ago or whatever, they put it back in. So if you want to play it in English, that you have the PSP version is the version that has it. Um, you know, it's it was pretty fun. One thing I do kind of like about the original Persona in terms of like its actual gameplay compared to the later games is that you set up to three different persona on each of your five characters, not just your main character. So it's not, it's not like the later persona games where most of the cast has just like a set persona with set skills and you kind of swap between the cast in this game, you ultimately get a, a cast of five and you're stuck with that cast of five as your party. But the flexibility comes in where, any any one of those five you can basically give them any there's some limitations on persona but you can give them a, a wide variety of personas for each character and so it's it's quite a bit more flexible in terms of like party builds and character builds and things like that um and of course persona not only affects uh the skills you have but also like your your resistances so it, it's 
it's pretty much crucial to like set up your party properly for for different points of the game. But it it really is more like more in the dungeon crawler vein before Persona really spun off into its own thing. But yeah, it was it was interesting enough. It sounds a little bit more like uh, I saw a Devil Survivor where. They're not Persona in that game. I think they're just called Demons. But you you assign like two or three or per character, and then you swap characters out or something. It sounds a little bit more similar to that than yeah. Well, it, four or five. This is where... back when. Go ahead. This is back when Persona really was just a spinoff rather than kind of having been yeah before, yeah before uh, it supplanted its own thing right. Mm-hmm. So. I will say the Snow Queen quest is kind of, it's not as interesting of a story. It's more just kind of setting up the the dungeon crawling aspect of the game. And then you kind of, it kind of is story light from there on. You the, the, the Really what it is, is you meet three different students from the school that each kind of have an issue. Like, for example, there's one student who um, is highly pressured to be successful in school but um, is getting berated because she got like third place on a test or something rather than first placed on a test. And so she kind of what she, she's kind of put up with the real world and why not kind of wants to create a dream world where everyone is asleep and can basically be, you know, happy in their dreams where everything is perfect sort of thing, you know, not a incredibly unique. (laughs) Well, uh, well, you know, this, this sort of, this sort of, uh, false utopia thing theme um and then there's just it it kind of just like sets up this that's like i I mentioned before there's three different towers you you have to go through and there's basically one of these sorts of students in each of these towers that you kind of crawl through the tower fight various demons power up get new persona and at the end fight a boss basically kind of reconcile the situation with that student and then go to the next one sort of thing and then at the end you fight the snow queen so yeah, it's it's not so as interesting of the story. On a but PSP it's... or is it like digital on Vita or PS3 or 4? I was playing the digital version on Vita. All right. So this version, this it... game, unlike some other PSP games, did get a digital release. It wouldn't be a and the only other game not have a Vita uh, incorporated <laughs> somewhere in it. The only other game I played, I just started uh, a couple of days ago is Bug Fables, which you spoke your praises about. And I won't talk about it too much, but you and you've already said this, you know, many, many podcasts ago, but yeah, it, May, April. it is like in a way, uh, it probably doesn't have as good of writing as like the Paper Mario games in general. But in terms of like um, combat, it's actually a little bit more intricate because you have the, your three characters to work with rather than just Mario or and a and a partner sort of thing. And also like the three characters kind of each have their own characterization and storyline attached to them. Kind of like the partners in Mario, but to just a slightly higher degree, like a slightly uh, a notch more involved with each of the characters. So it's in a way it's actually uh I would say has a leg up on Paper Mario games. Just it's not as good as charming in terms of like the look, uh, the writing and the English localization of the Paper Mario games, but it's pretty fun. Uh, I can see why it's been rated pretty well. Well, it also doesn't have this thing where Mario himself is obviously 
just he his the characterization yeah. yeah is done through the partners only and each of them usually has a bespoke like chapter that's just theirs and then and then and then there's then a little story is done for the most part at least in the first two or three games um but yeah i've already spoken highly about it i won't retread old ground so i'm glad to see that you're kind of feeling the same way at least initially But yeah, thanks for uh, actually playing, starting a new game and carrying this section of the podcast. I will say that I have started another game that I can't quite talk about yet. I know it's I know it's kind of a shitty tease, but I am really eager to talk about it next week. So uh, so stay tuned because I have some strong feelings about it. That's a little bit of a tease. So speaking of service games, and I know I said actually before we started uh, before we started recording this that I was going to leave this to the end. Uh, as of the time of recording, this was just announced literally like 30 minutes to an hour ago. Uh, this is not a game we were expecting to cover, but uh, Warner Brothers Games Montreal just announced Gotham Knights, which they are listing as an open world third person action RPG. So none of us here on staff were really expecting this. Like we knew it was being announced, but we thought like everyone else that it was an Arkham game or the Batman game. It was out of scope or whatever. And then we're like, oh, wait, this says like in the publishing materials that this is an action RPG. So it's in our purview and we could cover it if we wanted. Uh, what do we think about what we saw from Gotham Knights literally just 30 minutes ago? Well, I'm not really into like comic book stuff in general. So I'm not just just on a base level. I'm not very excited for this game. I wasn't really interested in it. Um, they I will say that they are just calling it straight up an open world RPG, which you just said. And so maybe that's sort of interesting just on like a mechanical level. But it looks to be another one of those sort of Destiny-ish service game. You have four different characters. You have Batgirl, Red Hood, Robin, and uh, Nightwing. Who I'm like only barely familiar with each, and you know each has a different weapon style, different combat style. Uh, you, you there's different gear that they've mentioned. There's different abilities, and you you can power them up. You know, customize there's enemy it levels in some way. and damage floaters, which is uh, all you need to count as an RPG, right? I guess. <laughs> but but one yeah. one thing that's a little bit different is that um, so the Marvel comparisons are already like flying. Uh, they did say that this is like a single player or a two person co op game, so it seems slightly different, though it's still occupying the same space. We had one person on staff, uh, George, who's normally on this podcast, but he can't be here today. Who is he's been really the most amped out of all of us to be uh, to cover the Avengers Marvel's Avengers game, and then he's also seemingly on board to talk about this game. So maybe next week he'll have something to say about it. But I'm kind of with you, where I'm just like, I've only got so much time in the day. We already we already kind of truncated the first half of this podcast by playing servicey games, and not like there's only so much time. I, I know that's kind of a a well worn, tired uh, whining, but like even if I was interested in um, these superheroy servicey AAA sort of things, I just don't know. You can only get to so many of them. Yeah, I mean, the game looks pretty nice in terms of, like, so how long ago was Arkham Origins? Like, seven years? Um, so, I don't know. Well, well, if... Arkham Knight was the more recent one. Well, that was Rocksteady, though. This is... Uh... Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's what you mean. Okay. 
Right. So I was talking, what I meant was like the studio has been working on this game for a while. I mean, I'm sure there's been, you know, not just full seven years of development. There's probably been some yep, setbacks and right? Yeah, there's been, but it's probably been in the in, in development for quite a while regardless. Uh, and it looks pretty nice in terms of like its visuals and it'll probably be, it'll probably have a decent amount of content, but I don't know. I'm just not really into Batman. Like I don't, I, I don't want to be so negative. It's just something I haven't, I've never really been into. So it's just kind of like, Oh, that looks cool. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at too. I and mean, speaking of Rocksteady, they're supposedly announcing their suicide game, suicide squad game soonish i suppose and i guess what if that also occupies like the same space it just feels like i can't really get super enthusiastic about any of these i don't know we need george on here to like carry the uh carry the hype for this yeah this is his absence this is this is probably the worst podcast for him to not be able george, to make it you? Uh, if you are you. excited about uh gotham knights please let us know because we're kind of lukewarm on it, I suppose. I don't like I'm fine with that style of game on its face because I've played like similarish games like Division 2. I put like 100 hours in, which is obviously it's not themed around superheroes, but it's the same style of game seemingly having not obviously played Gotham Knights. But it's just. It, it doesn't seem to what all it really offers new seemingly based on this very first look. And this is my initial off the cuff impression disclaimer is that if you're not into Batman or DC comics, then there's not really a whole reason to look at this game twice, but I guess they're banking on the fact that a lot of people are, we just happen not to be in that pool of people. Yeah, we'll keep on top of this because unlike Marvel's Avengers, which we kind of started covering because we sort of saw the RPG light DNA that seems to permeate in everything these days, and we decided to start covering it. And this one, just more outwardly, they're, they're calling it, the publisher's calling it an action RPG. So it's like, all right, we're in the clear. Our asses are covered. We can cover this. Uh, so I guess stay tuned. Uh, we'll try to be more enthusiastic about it if we see more. So uh, we'll bring George on to balance out this. Uh, tepid discussion and more positive news and more a little bit in our purview um specifically the three of us here uh back to talking about square enix so they announced uh in their first quarter of the fiscal year results i don't know their fiscal year is really offset i'm not going to try to pretend i understand when that lines up that trials of mana which released in april of this year which seems like forever ago um has significantly surpassed their sales expectations though they did not specifically give numbers uh adam i think you have a little bit more context here i think you tried to dig up what we do know about the sales of trials of mana remake i believe the only numbers we have are from famitsu um for japanese physical sales which it was cumulative for both the playstation 4 and nintendo switch platform around 250k before it fell off the charts. But, you know, that doesn't include any download sales at all. And, of course, the rest of the world. Uh, so that's just only a piece. And, of course, you know, maybe they didn't have good expectations or whatever. But um, I think this is a pretty positive sign, though, just for, you know, the Mana series has been sort of dormant for quite a while. It, you know, they had a, a couple of games. On, they had like a game on PlayStation 2. They had a game on DS. They had a few games on DS, actually. But then like the 3DS 
uh, didn't have anything. The PlayStation 3 era didn't have anything. On mobile phones and Vita, eventually there was a remake of the first game. There was a remake of Secret of Mana, which kind of, just to be honest, was not very good at all. And so it wasn't really, the series wasn't really in a good position. And now this remake and then the collection of Mana on Switch finally localized just last year. Um, I'm not sure how well the collection of Mana did, but it seems like this game, this remake did pretty well. They finally localized uh, Saiken Densetsu 3, which is the third game in the series. Yeah, it's, it's crazy that two years ago or so, that was like some people's white whale. And now it's like, oh, now you can play either the original version or the remake in English. Like, oh, okay, that was kind of quick succession. I want to read a part of their answer from this um, uh, results briefing because it kind of illustrates the extent of which they're saying that it uh, surpassed expectations. They said, sales of Trials of Mana are so strong, they have significantly surpassed our initial expectations. Um, in, re in regards to catalog titles, we are seeing growth in digital sales from our library. And a lot of the the, the common... When, when, when we posted this to our RPG site Twitter feed, one of the very common uh, responses has been like, good, now do Chrono Trigger next. So uh, I guess obviously now that this has done well, people are kind of pulling out their, you know, their wish lists about what they want yeah, to I see think it is, in, in the same vein. I think it's kind of funny how when I see this news, the first thing that comes to my mind is maybe we can get a new mana game. You know, it's been a while. <laughs> And then everyone else is like, ah, fuck Mana, just do another remake. <laughs> uh, so, well, we Mana also is one of those series with um, Final Fantasy VII Remake, or people even in that response, obviously that's kind of a different scale of remake. There's like orders of magnitude is the difference between the just the pure production going into Trials of Mana Remake and Final Fantasy VII Remake. Because people are also, you know, you can see wish, you know, wish lists about what if they remade Chrono Trigger the same way. I, Chrono Trigger comes up a lot. And these sorts of, you know, gee whiz, that would be swell sort of things. I've also seen a lot of people, maybe it's just the people I follow, like, make Final Fantasy VIII remake. <laughs> I mean, the remastered edition wasn't that long ago. But yeah, so now they've kind of opened up Pandora's box. And like now that they've shown a willingness to revisit these things, people are obviously just pulling out whatever they have the highest affinity to and hoping we see that next year. But I don't know if that's... I guess we'll have to see if that sort of momentum carries forward. Because they did also announce but, um, Project Athia back in, what, June? So that is, that's that's also under the Square Enix banner as a new project. So it'll be interesting to see, like, what sort of balance we see with... Because obviously this gen for Final Fantasy has been really kind of weird. Or not, I say Final Fantasy, but Square Enix in general has been kind of weird. Uh they started off slow with Final Fantasy XV being kind of the weird soup that it was. Ended up arguably strong with Final Fantasy VII Remake and like the surprise, like I said, Trials of Mana. And I guess I guess Marvel Avengers, just to tie this back to the previous topic, is kind of under them as well in a weird sort of way. In terms of like... What a weird company. The, the last couple of years, though, have been like Square Enix is like the Japanese side of Square Enix. They've they basically touched on each of their main uh, franchises. Like there yeah, was a, there's obviously though. Final Fantasy. There's they they just released you know a classic and a, and a remake Mana game. There was Saga Scarlet Grace. Like even the Saga series got uh, 
it's got got some love and we gave it a lot of love too. Yeah. Um, obviously, there is Kingdom Hearts three a couple of years I like, ago. I like how in 2019 uh, James, there is James Dragon Quest the Saga and decides to chime in. <laughs> He's awake. There is uh, Dragon Quest and that's coming out on like it's finally getting an Xbox release. And so like I think those five series, if you're talking about Square Enix Japan, are like probably their main ones. Um, and they're in like the last, let's just say two years or so that each of those games has gotten a release or each of those franchises has gotten this, uh, gotten that release. So, um, yeah. it's weird. Cause like my impression is someone that doesn't really play final fantasy except for 14. It feels like whenever I see people talk about square next Japan, almost all the time people talk about how they feel like they're disappointed in the way that the mainline final fantasy series has gone recently. But I look at what's going on in 14, where arguably it's in, if not the best place it's ever been, definitely a very, very strong place. I look at Final Fantasy VII Remake, where obviously parts of the story are contentious. It seems like overall people are in agreement that the gameplay is good, that it's definitely more consistent in its themes and whatnot than like 15. And like you look at Square Enix Japan as a whole, and they just seem to be in a really good spot right now. Like Dragon Quest is real, in a really good spot. Saga's in an impressively good spot. It's got a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. But uh, on other, maybe this, maybe this comparison's unfair. But like they talk about Trials of Mana, we we again don't really know sales numbers. Um, we have that Famitsu 250k. So. This seems like it's in like the couple million ballpark, maybe just over a million, maybe just under two. I really don't know because we just we have to just make educated guesses. But they say regardless of where it's sold, it's been succeeding expectations. Where this is from the same company that last gen Tomb Raider sold what like six or seven million on the Western side, and they said they were like disappointed. So it makes me kind of just wonder like how divorced are the two sides of the company or have they realigned what sort of like expectations they have for games or maybe the two games are just too different to really be fairly compared. I'm not sure. But it's good at least for fans of the tri uh, not trial series, not a series, that it's done well for them. So hopefully we see it revisited, whether it's more remakes or like you said, a new title. Now, maybe related, Square Enix did recently trademark I think it's pronounced, I, I don't know if it's live a live or live alive or live alive. You know, I'm not exactly sure what the, how you pronounce the game. Um, it's a very, uh, it's a classic Super Famicom game from Square Enix that has never been officially released in the West. And it got a few trademarks a, a few months back. Now, trademarks can be filed for a number of reasons, um, but maybe they're going to do something with that. Who knows? A quick Google search tells me that the correct pronunciation is Live Alive. Okay, yeah. It's, it's one of those that, games that, I've only that's, read that's about. It's just a random thing, though, so I'm not certain. Yes, but it's, I've heard, you know, it's one of those It's one of those games from Square Enix. You know, it's kind of a standalone title. It's not a franchise that never released in the West. And then it got a few Western trademarks. It's like, maybe, but trademarks are never, like, a certainty, really. They can kind of be filed for a number of reasons. But who knows? So, uh, how do I? None of uh, there's no good segue to any other topics this week. Like I said, this is a really weird week. Um, we do also have some news about Genshin Impact, which is a free to play 
JRPG coming actually out of China from developer Miho MiHoYo Technology is coming out September 28th for PC and then mobile phones, iOS and Android. They stated in this release date announcement that it is also coming out for PlayStation 4, but they ha- the date will be announced later. And then we also have the footnote that they did announce a Switch version of this game earlier this year, like January, February, but that was not even mentioned in this release date announcement. So I know a lot of people that are kind of excited for this game, uh, and I know a lot of people who are also really, really wary of this game because it basically just seems like a high-budget gotcha game. So it's obviously it's coming out to mobile phones, so it'll fit right in place there. But it also has the same sort of gameplay elements in a PC console format, which there's nothing saying that that's not, you know, allowed. But people are, you know, people have always said I'm kind of inherently dubious uh, or inherently suspicious of that sort of thing. So I know I know like Josh Torres is really excited for this game. I know a lot of people have made comparisons as like this is what Breath of the Wild would look like if it was a real RPG. Um, I don't know if either of you have really any uh, opinions on what has been shown from Genshin Impact so far. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be dismissive, but personally, just the gotcha structuring just is kind of a, an immediate turnoff for me. Just like, oh, if it's a free-to-play game where I have to roll for characters, I don't care. Sorry. <laughs> Feeling the same way, James? Um. I don't really have any strong opinions one way or another about Genshin Impact. I know some like uh, mutuals on Twitter that are interested in it. It seems like it'll be a perfectly fine game, just I haven't really paid too close attention to it. So, I think it has a lovely art style. Like it, it looks like it looks like Breath of the Wild if it were cleaner looking. I don't know if that makes any sense. And I, I, we, we, I'm kind of grin, uh, grimacing at myself because we made the comparison to Breath of the Wild. Uh, with our Windbound YouTube video, and some people kind of were snarky about that and saying, like, you can't just compare every game to Breath of the Wild, but, like, I'm not sure, like, how else you describe that sort of quasi-cell-shaded, quasi-painterly... Like, it's got a... It's a very distinct art style, and I just kind of go to that well to describe that's just visually how it comes across. Like, I was originally very interested in this game, and I actually was the one that did the first uh, post on the site for it when it was like and not when it was first announced but when it was kind of when it when it first got just uh picked up by a lot of the western you know games journalism outlets but then like the more i read about it the the less interested i was like okay i'm fine with free-to-play games i play fantasy star online too and after all but just the more that i read about like how it was designed and how the how the gotcha works i was kind of along with adam where i'm just like eh, i don't have you know I'll just find something else. Uh, so I guess we're all kind of... It's also page. worth mentioning that when it releases... Actually, did you ever mention it's releasing on September, what, 30th? 20th. Um, and yeah, I did mention 28th. it. 28th. Um, for PC and phones, anyway. It's going to have two cities that you can explore and, like, the surrounding areas. Or two locations. And there's going to be seven total but coming later. So it's sort of that sort of deal where um, kind of like they have a scope in mind of what they want the full game to look like after updates, but for now, like they have these areas that are done and complete, I guess, and that those that's what's going to be in the original release when it comes out. 
So I guess on one hand, um, that means that people know there's going to be, there is a planned avenue for more content if they get the game at launch and play it. They know it's not, it should be supported for a while. But we're so, anyway. so I actually, I actually pulled up Josh's preview from the beta from March, and I feel a little bit more substantiated in my comparison to Breath of the Wild because it says like it has a stamina bar that depletes anytime you run, swim, or climb anything. Almost all the surfaces are climbable. You climb big towers and spot key landmarks to you know unveil the map. It's just like, and then obviously that's not even talking about the art style itself. So it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like the hard mode. If whoever's reviewing this game, which I assume is Josh, like the hard mode would be like, can you review this without mentioning its very kind of obvious inspiration? I might just kind of. I, I mean, obviously it's a free to play game. I might just try it just just to kind of go out of my like comfort zone just to see. Uh, because maybe maybe the free to play elements and the gotcha elements will be like super generous and maybe it won't actually like I, I don't want to just go in with that mindset where if it has those I immediately shouldn't be interested. So we'll see. But we only have so much time in the day and those games tend to be quite big time sinks. But September twenty eighth, uh, PC and mobile phones, and then hopefully the PS four version, which I know a lot of people in our comments on the Twitter have been kind of eagerly waiting for details on that. We'll see whenever uh, if that's going to be this year or if it's just going to keep sliding back into 2021. There again, there is no way to clearly segue because none of these stories really have any common themes. Uh, we're going to be talking about we talked about this for like five minutes last week on the podcast about Vampire: The Masquerade Bloodlines Two, how it was delayed into 2021, potentially in a related. Uh, you know, story we learned this week that they have seemingly fired creative slash narrative leads Brian Mitsoda and Kai Clooney. Which, if you don't know what those names are, when this game was first announced, Brian Mitsoda uh, was announced at. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say there's no need to say seemingly fired because he did confirm it too. Oh, okay. Also, I, I, right. <laughs> Okay, I saw I saw that people had basically, you know, drawn the line through the dots and said fired, but I didn't realize it was, you know, confirmed, confirmed. All right, he was fired. Um, the reason why this has kind of been substantial is because when, obviously, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines came out 15 years ago under Troika Games, which hasn't existed since because it folded, like, literally a month or two after that game released, this was kind of like a sense of when, when this game was announced, Bloodlines 2, like 15 years at the original with Brian Mitsoda at the helm, the writer from the first game, that was kind of like their avenue of saying like, yes, we're a different publisher under Paradox Games. Yes, we're, we're a development studio, you know, um, hard suit labs that didn't work on the first game because they weren't around. But that was kind of like their, their title legitimacy. We've got the original writer on board. This is going to be the real thing. And now he's not on board. Like the optics of that is just very, it makes it makes it makes this game kind of crater in like my excitement for it. It's I've seen some people state like matter of factly where if the game is far enough along in development, they might not need a right that that specific position anymore. But the fact that he was the one that was kind of paraded in front of cameras to say like, yes, this is a legitimate sequel to this cult classic, and now he's been fired. There's just it's just not a good light in on any like 
I don't know. It's it's very hard to be super optimistic on this game after this news came out. Yeah, this is one of those things I actually kind of wish I had more like uh firsthand, you know, knowledge about how game dev- development works because like Brian Mitsoda was the narrative lead and Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 has been in wor- in the works for, you know, several years now. And so like presumably some of the stuff he's written is going to maintain itself, you know, at this point. But like what, even if the game development has been challenging or struggling a bit, what is like, where's the line that has to be crossed for the teams at hard suit and paradox to jointly make a decision to fire him and the creative director with like, they, they, they had no forewarning of this. Minnesota said in his, in his statement to rock, paper, shotgun that like he wasn't, you know, expecting this, he he didn't realize that there was any issues that to, to be just fired. Like it would be different if he said, like, "Hey, I'm stepping down because my work is done" or whatever. But or or just, I like, felt even I felt speaking as a hypothetical voice. If if he said that he had felt that he had created differences and no was longer no longer interested in in the project, but he clearly still was. So it's just. This game was supposed to come out in March. Like, it, it's not looking good. Like, I, I, I hope this game comes out. And it, like, I guess it's just in the spirit of the first game. You know, it was kind of a mess, but maybe it, like, it'll have some sort of a, uh, some sort of cool theming or some cool ideas that shine through despite all of that. Maybe, maybe this was all just destined to be like this. It was never going to be like a super polished thing from start to finish. It was going to go through the development hell maybe that was just destiny because we don't really have any other like we know tba 2021 for this game and that's pretty much it at this point and around the march april time frame they were doing like these weekly development updates they kind of went through all the clans they went through all the locations and then ever since their initial delay announcement it's just kind of been not quite vaporware but leaning that I don't know. It's one of those it's one of those games that like the original game, if you played Bloodlines, you there's there's a lot of bloodlines that you kind of just have to just accept. Like, yes, it is very janky in ways. The combat, you don't even talk about the combat. The combat is just there. You have to you have it's, to accept yeah, it and put up with it. Um like it's one of those things like you kind of sometimes even forget, oh you're like, oh yeah, that game does have combat and it's not very good. Um but you can't just like the sequel is one of those games where it didn't seem to be incredibly polished. It was coming from a studio that doesn't have a, a huge pedigree. Uh, like I think we mentioned last week, they made like some shooter whose name I forgot again, blacklight something. Black, black um, something. Yeah. And so it's like, it was more just going to be like this passion project. And the fact that Mitsoda was behind it was just like, all right, you know, I think people who are fans and really excited for this kind of know what we're getting into in a way, but I don't know. It's just, they, they brought on a guy. Um, I don't have his name in front of me, but he I have it. Alexandra Mandrika. He worked on Assassin's Creed, Far Cry and Warhammer. So a Ubisoft guy. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say something. I don't know. Just, Maybe, maybe, maybe it. Maybe the. I guess the most positive outlook is that 
Mitsoda's work is pretty much done and maybe they just didn't need him anymore. It's just still kind of weird that they would just be just like a sudden firing though. And the creative director, unfortunately this Kai Clooney creative director, I'm not as familiar with, and he had no ties to the first, I believe, but and what, you a know, title, what, a, what a title of a position to lose. Right. So it wasn't away. just the writer. It was also this creative director. It's just like, huh, that's, it's, it's, it's very strange. I feel bad for Mitsoda because they, my, in my, my impression is that he wasn't very much like a person who liked the spotlight, but he was kind of put in that position because he was kind of like their key to legitimacy. Oh, did I, you I, read I, I saw his a comment, statement? I saw, I saw a comment. I, it might've been snipped out of a statement where, like the reason why he wears the gloves is because it's just kind of like a comfort thing for him, uh, which I'm not here to judge. But now, like they used him, I feel like as like this. Yeah, see, we're a legit sequel. We've got the writer, and now they've just kind of like thrown him on the wayside. It's just man, that just seems awful. Like it's hard. It's hard to see paradox and be like, yeah, they're in the right here. I've seen some people um, kind of assuming the worst, like, oh, this is just going to be full of the MTX garbage that all the other paradox games are, which I think is. I don't know. It just seems kind of like assuming the worst when we don't really know that. But at this, we don't know that we don't know that. <laughs> I don't know. What a mess. Another another thing I'm just kind of in, curious about is just like, so Mitsoda specifically was the writer. And I feel writing is, I'm not, it's challenging. I'm not going to say writing isn't challenging, but it's not necessarily technical, right? Um I, I wouldn't. So, I, I would. I would say I don't know enough about game development to. Yeah, technical. Right. I, I, that's what I mentioned earlier. Games. It's just one of those things. I feel like, like if the game was having development struggles, technically, like narrative can sort of be massaged alongside that. But if, like, at what point is the actual narrative itself, the development of that, struggling enough where they literally just have to kick the guy who's in charge of it? Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, and have someone the next else come time in. we bring up Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2, we'll have something a little bit more positive because, man, the, this, like, we were excited enough about this to put it, this is a little bit of a silly little comment, but we put it, like, in the header of our website or our Twitter page, like, because this was initially planned to come out early this year. Like, I, we were excited for this, and I think there's enough of a cult, you know, following of the first game that a lot of people were. Um, and now I just feel like, we we were kind of like yeah it's good for the game to get delayed because it was uh, gonna be in the foot you know underneath the boot of cyberpunk or whatever. And now it's just like man, I just hope it comes out in one piece. Anyways, we'll follow up as soon as we know more. Another completely random tangent of a news story: we have some more news out of Amazon Games, which is also seemingly just delaying their projects indefinitely and still have yet to put a, a full game out to market. Uh, they have announced a publishing agreement. Yeah. They, they did release Crucible for all yeah. the week, but then, but then they, but then they undid it, so we can't count that. One another mess. Uh, but they have announced a publishing agreement with Smilegate RPG, who is the Korean Korean developers behind uh, Lost Ark MMORPG, and then I believe also Epic Seven Epic Seven mobile game. So of course. The big like hypothetical takeaway from this Amazon and Smilegate RPG publishing deal is that Lost Ark, which was announced for a um, North American release or worldwide release back in like what 2018, this might be the avenue to finally follow through on that announcement. But it actually, hasn't been officially stated. Right? Yes, yes, it has. Um, 
I forget where it was, but uh, some it was either Chinese or Korean outlet actually basically confirmed that yeah, it is Lost Ark that Amazon okay. will be publishing in the West. Which you know, I don't I don't think Smilegate RPG has like any other projects under that branding specifically. So it was pretty much all but confirmed before. Uh, so so yeah, it seems like yeah, Lost Ark is coming out in English next year. It's a it's like a massively online RPG, but it's it's sort of like more like a Diablo than a than a traditional MMORPG. Uh, if that makes sense, sort of like this top-down massive online action role-playing game. Um, but the we thing have, is, when we, now Amazon has their fingers in this RPG in Lost Ark as of last week. They've got obviously New World, which has been delayed. And they have that Lord of the Rings MMO, supposedly, that, or not supposedly, that they're working on that has been kind of silent for a long time. Like, are they just kind of banking on one of these being a huge hit? It's just weird. I guess we'll see, like, I don't know which one of those weeks, because I guess New World was supposed to have its betas by now. Like, we would have had impression pieces had 2020 not been the year that it's been, but we'll see. I was kind of excited for New World, but now, like, I don't know. It feels like there's, it feels like it's a weird time to try to make a massively online game because not only do you have these traditional MMOs, of which we still have World of Warcraft and Final Fantasy XIV is getting up there in H2, going super strong and not slowing down anytime soon, but all these other games that are trying to, like, crowd into the space. It feels like almost like the late aughts at this point after, like, a very quiet, you know, 2010s for the genre. So I'm not really that interested in Lost Ark, but I guess I haven't really looked at it since that 2018 announcement way back when. So I guess we'll see if they actually make a formal announcement on the, on the North American side about whether that's going to be a plan because, Oh, by the way, I, I never specified that this partnership did specify that they're publishing a game in 2021 for North America and Europe. So it might turn around quicker than, than we think. All right. The last piece of news that I have on here is about Baldur's Gate 3's early access period, which was supposed to start in August, but they, they kind of hedged their bets early on that where they said maybe, like legitimately weren't committing to it. Uh, apparently it's going to come out on September 30th. So uh, if you watch their panel from hell, which was kind of like a Jeff Keighley-led interview where they talked about the early access, one thing that they really tried to... I don't know, illustrate with this is that it's a limited act of the game where I believe you can only go to level four out of level out of 10 levels. But they, they, this is one thing that Larian really likes to do. They started rattling off like the number of characters that you meet and the number of lines of dialogue that there are. They did this for Divinity Original Sin 2 as well. And they compared it to the Divi Divinity Original Sin early access numbers. And spoiler, they're all larger. Um, which isn't supposed to be indicative of the length of the early access period, but more, yes, this is an RPG, depending on what you play, you know, your, your, uh, whether you're aligned as a good character or an evil character, your class, your race, your character, um, you're going to see different story branches. So hence, there's a lot more lines of dialogue in this early access period. Now, normally, I'm not much of an early access guy, but after watching this panel, I am actually pretty excited to dive into this especially if they're going to keep like adding to it. 
They haven't really announced specifically what their post early access launch plans between that and 1.0 are, but I don't know. I'm, I'm eager to dive in and try it out. And also worth mentioning, so this game, just like the Divinity Original Sin games, it will have origin characters, um, which are basically just like pre-created characters with their own, you know, personalities and stories that you can, you basically pick one to play as, and then the others join you or can join you as your party members. And the early access will have five. So the full game will have more. They haven't said specifically how many more, but the full game will have more. And also, you don't have to play as an origin character. You can play as, you know, a create a completely, you know, self-player created character and then have the other origin characters join you still. But they haven't specifically said, like, which races and classes are going to be, like, exactly, precisely which races and classes are going to be available in the early access yet. They said that's still being kind of decided. Yeah, and... um that's exactly how Divinity Original Sin, Original Sin 2 worked. And I think some of the more cynical would say like, well, this is just Divinity Original Sin colon Baldur's Gate. This is Baldur's Gate 3. But I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I'm a little bit more positive than that. I think what they've shown so far has shown has been like really faithful to the, to the source material, having played the first two games. I do expect, obviously, Larian's you know, DNA is going to bleed into it because of course it is. Um, they have shown like a really high whenever they've demoed this game whether it was at PAX or Gamescom last year or wherever it has like this sense of like genuine awkwardness to this because they don't know how the dice rolls are going to work they don't know like nothing is clearly scripted it's like even in this demo from this panel from hell they had this character where they they were showing off one of the um, familiars where you could like summon a spider to fight for you and the spider would attack an enemy and it took the enemy a few attacks to like actually like get uh to go engage in combat and i've actually really just kind of grown to enjoy that sort of like honest demoing of a game it's not like this super scrubbed vertical slice there's just where eventually you look back on it in two years and end up seeing how the final game is completely different from they're just like yeah this is in development yeah it might go wrong yeah, the early access period might do that as well. But there's sort of like a genuineness to it that makes me like excuse any of like the hiccups that they show. So that's also part of the reason why I'm excited to try the early access, just to kind of see uh, what's what what it's like to to play through a game that's clearly unfinished and not pretending that it is either. A couple of the lines of that they, again, like I said, Larian loves to do this. This is probably the one that most stands out to me. And that the number of characters in the Divinity Original Sin Early Access was 142. The number of characters that you meet in the Baldur's Gate 3 Early Access is 596. So like a 4x fold increase there. Not saying that it's going to be four times as long, but that it's going to be like the four times as variable. Where you might see way... You, I might play through, even just the Early Access period, I might play through this and Adam might play through this and see something completely different. So... Obviously, that's something that's easy to market and to say that they are. It'll be interesting to see how much that holds water once people actually play through it. And uh, that's all I really have for this week, guys. So I hope it's been a weird week. And that's a weird slew of stories to jump from without any really common through line between them. I guess one last thing is, um, did you see that trailer for that Black Myth Wukong game? 
Uh, I saw a couple Twitter gifs on it. Yes. It, it's it's uh it's a really impressive looking trailer so if you haven't seen it it's basically a third person action rpg based on the journey to the west uh chinese novel where you play as you know sun wukong and taking on various sorts of chinese mythological creatures and whatnot and it looks really impressive uh, a part of me wonders how real it is if that makes sense um it's gotten a lot of attention on on various websites like i think like i think ign re-uploaded the trailer themselves and is like somewhere around a million views or something like that um it's it's a really impressive looking game you know it's in terms of its visual styles it's got you know that third person action rpg mix between like a realistic art style but of course still with that mythology theme um it looks really cool really smooth but the developers, the Chinese developers, Game Science actually replied to this sort of uh, um, attention that they've gotten, and they basically said, "Like, hey, uh, we don't want to overpromise. Um, we're we're happy that people are excited. We're still recruiting." And they actually even said, "Like, don't expect to see that more of this game for quite a while because it's still way in development, sort of thing." So, so it's called. Uh, it looks Black interesting. Myth, Wukong coming to PCs and consoles. At some point. Yeah, it's... So... All right, good it, shout out. And it, we've got that trailer uh, up on our website. Mm-hmm. All right, we're sub an hour. Do you guys have anything else to stretch us for an hour, or should we just call it what it is and say that I pretty much covers it for this week? It's just... Um, there really isn't too much to talk about lately, because it feels like... Um, well, even if it was a normal year, this would be kind of a dry period, that kind of uh, Twilight Zone right before TGS happens and, like, more information. Well, TGS and Gamescom happen, so there's more information coming in. Like, um, just they're hearing rumblings that there's going to be, like, new announcements, like there might be Nintendo stuff soon, and then obviously there's TGS coming. It seems inevitable that within the next month or two we're going to find out about that rumored Monster Hunter on Switch. So, I mean, that's not really well, news. That, yeah. that Gamescom opening night live, which is their substitute for this year, is next Thursday. So we will, whatever comes out of that specifically, we will have to talk about next week. Uh, but yeah, it's just been like a really weird week. I'm okay to just call it what it is and just say, you know, that's, we're at, we're at the period of time where, where people, people are ramping up for the start of the new generation, kind of closing down this one. We've got a couple cool announcements coming out this holiday. We're just kind of in the waiting period, you know, holding pattern for that. I will call out that we do have a couple of new videos up on our YouTube channel from our casual mode series. Last week, we looked at Dreamscaper, which is another roguelite. So I promise that at some point we will look at a game that is not a roguelite. Uh, you can always follow us on Twitter at RPG site or on Facebook at RPG site net. And then we've got all the trailers and stuff that we talked about up on our main website at RPGSite.net. And from that website, you can enter our Discord channel from the link at the top of the page. But otherwise, I don't have anything else. So unless Adam or James tries to stop me, I will sign it off here and say we will talk to you next time and see you next week. Later, everyone. <laughs>